Well, now Rachel is going to read to us from the Scriptures. We're continuing our series from uh, John's uh, Gospel, and uh, we'll be focusing specifically on the story that uh, we've highlighted already, the uh, miracle at Cana of Galilee. But just to lead into that, uh, Rachel is going to read to us from John chapter 1, verse 43. The Bible reading is from John chapter 1, verse 43, through to John chapter 2, verse 11, and this can be found on page 1064 in the Bibles and Pews. John chapter 1, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. Today, the first Sunday of a new year, on Sunday the 6th of January, the 12th day of Christmas, we're going to turn our thoughts to the fourth gospel, chapter 2, and ask five questions of the text. Shall we pray? Gracious God, thank you for this opportunity which we have right now to receive a word from yourself 
in anticipation of gathering around your table. Please surprise us with your presence and do in us and among us a new thing for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, over the last number of weeks, Jeff and Andrew have been encouraging us to join the conversation and through community Bible experience to read the whole of the New Testament over the next four months or so. The idea is to read a chunk of Scripture, and I understand that over 200 of the purposely designed books have already been purchased, and that's wonderful uh, for this purpose. And then collectively, we are to ask five basic questions about the text. So that's precisely what I thought I might do here uh, this morning with this passage of Scripture, which is before us today, John chapter 2. Uh, verses 1 through to 11, Jesus changing water into wine. And the five questions are these. Uh, What is something you've noticed from the passage for the first time? What questions did you have about the text? Was there anything that bothered you? What did you learn about loving God? And what did you learn about loving other people? Five straightforward, provoking questions. And while I'm conscious that my response to this passage may not be exactly the same as yours, perhaps something of your questions may also resonate. Uh, At least uh, you'll gain some insight into the way my mind works uh, as I ask these questions. And the first thing that I noticed on reading John 2 for the first time was that this miracle in in verse 1 took place on the third day. Now, I guess that wouldn't have particularly registered with me as significant before, except that we've just been studying chapter 1. And there John clearly begins his gospel as a parallel with the account of creation in Genesis chapter 1, the creation of the world in six days. So, John now tells us, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Through Him, that is through the Lord Jesus, all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. So, when in Genesis, God said, let there be light, and there was light, now John tells us that Jesus was the means through which God created the light on the first day. Why? Because Jesus is the light of the world. So now, here in his gospel in chapter 2, John wants us to see what happened in Cana of Galilee, that it was a continuation of this act of recreation. And so it says, on the third day. Um, We see the second day uh, in verse 43. So, we ask the question, I suppose, from Genesis chapter 1, verse 11, what happened on the third day of creation? And God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees that bear fruit, and seed in it. And that's exactly what happened. And here now in John chapter 2, 
The servants at Cana in Galilee are told, do whatever he tells you, verse 5. In other words, do what he says, and when he speaks, things happen. And when they do, things come about. A miracle takes place involving seed-bearing plants, grapes. So, that's the first thing which I've noticed for the very first time that happened on the third day, the third day of God's new creation. The other thing that I noticed for the first time on reading this text was another relationship between chapter 1 and chapter 2, which I'd never seen before. I confess I've always viewed these two chapters as totally disconnected. How dull of me. And yet now I've noticed that in chapter 1, verse 14, John tells us the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. And now in this very next chapter, we're given an illustration what that actually looks like. Here we can see what it means for the Word to become flesh in practice. Jesus, the pre-existent Son of the Father, became human. He has no difficulty doing on planet Earth, which after all He has created. He's no difficulty doing whatever He wants to do, and so making a few liters of wine out of water is no big deal to the Word made flesh. So here then is part of what it means for heaven to be opened, as described in chapter 1 verse 50 and for people to see with their very own eyes something of God's glory. If it is required that God made flesh turns water into wine, so be it. All right, so those are a couple of the things I noticed for the very first time uh, on coming to this text. Second thing, what questions did I have about the text? Well, here are some of the questions I had, and I don't know if they're the ones that you had, but the first one was, whereabouts around the Sea of Galilee is Cana located? And the answer is, it isn't. Chapter 2, verse 1 tells us that the wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. It doesn't say Cana was beside the Sea of Galilee, And uh, any of you who have actually been to the Holy Land knows that Cana is actually quite a bit inland. It's nowhere near Lake Tiberias. It is a town located in the region of Galilee. That is within its municipal boundaries. A bit like saying that Coleraine is in the county of Londonderry. So that was a question that came to my mind, uh, Cana of Galilee. Um, It doesn't mean the Sea of Galilee. The second question was, why did Mary say to Jesus, verse 3, they have no wine? Um, If in verse 1 we see that the mother of Jesus, along with Jesus and his disciples, had been invited to the wedding, they were guests. When the wine had gone, why was it Mary's concern to pull Jesus into this predicament? I'm not sure I know the answer. It's just a question that popped into my mind. Did Mary say they have no wine to Jesus simply because 
she was letting him know the problem, or was she asking Jesus to do something about it? Well, I guess the next question follows seamlessly from that verse 4. Why did Jesus then call Mary dear woman? If I called my mother woman, even dear woman, I'm not sure she would have been overly delighted. Why did he not just call her mom? Again, I, I don't really know the answer, except to say that the commentators all seem to be agreed that this was a far more gentle form of address in Aramaic than it may appear to us in English, and I'm happy to accept that. But that brings us on to, uh, quite neatly, to the third question which community Bible experience have invited us to ask. Is there something here that bothered you as you read the text? Uh, Because if saying, dear woman, just seems a bit odd, the next bit Uh, what uh, was then said to each other in verses 4 and 5 really did puzzle me. Jesus replied to Mary when she told him there was no more wine, my time has not yet come. And then immediately following that, his mother turned to the servants and said to them, do whatever he tells you. Does that bother you? Don't involve me in this, says Jesus. It's it's not the right moment. And then Mary says, okay, son, turns to the servants and says, just obey his orders. Well, that did puzzle me. And so I had to go and do some research to find out if Jesus uses that phrase, my time has not yet come anywhere else. And the answer is, yes, there are a number of other references such as in John chapter 7, verse 30, and in chapter 8, verse 20. But there's one other place which is interesting because it is phrased slightly differently. Later on in John's gospel, chapter 12, just before Jesus washes his disciples' feet and before he predicts his betrayal and prays for his disciples, Jesus says to three of his closest friends, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So while Jesus had indeed begun his ministry and he had started to instruct his disciples just prior to the wedding at Cana in Galilee, the full glory of God first mentioned in chapter 1 verse 14 was not fully seen until John 12, verse 23, when Jesus is preparing to go to the cross. In other words, the text would seem to suggest that God's glory would not be seen so much with what He does with the six stone water jars used by the Jews in ceremonially washing, but Christ's glory would be seen by the cleansing which alone could truly wash people from their sins through His shed blood on the cross. And even as the head waiter exclaimed his delight at the quality of the wine that flowed from the water jars, 
So Jesus' blood provides unparalleled spiritual life, the highest quality of existence to all who will only avail of it. So while Mary may not fully have known what Jesus could have meant when he said, my time has not yet come, she clearly had sufficient understanding about Jesus' unique purpose to urge those around to do whatever he tells you in the belief that whatever Jesus urged them to do, it was bound to be for their very best. All right, those are three of the first questions um, that we've been encouraged to ask. What is something you've noticed for the first time? What questions did you have about the text? Was there anything that bothered you? And finally, what did you learn about loving God? And what did you learn about loving other people? Well, let's think about people first, if we may. And I suppose this is the so what question, and that's important. As we read this first miraculous sign which Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee, is there any encouragement to us to better love other people? And there were two simple things that occurred to me. And if there are others that come into your mind, please don't hesitate to tell me. But the two things I was uh, reminded was just what a privilege it is when somebody invites you to a wedding. And what a great thing it is to celebrate in Jesus' company. Are those two thoughts too obvious? If somebody is kind enough to invite you to a wedding, that's a big thing. To receive an invite to a marriage celebration is a privilege. It is significant. And more than that, while unbelievers may not understand this, but many of you I know will, the joy at any celebration is greater when Christ is present than when He is absent. What do I mean? Well, well, quite simply, the joy that Jesus provides is better than any fun that a secular host can ever supply. The joy of Christ-infused company is superior than any of the plonk that may be got elsewhere. So, so here in John chapter 2, we're encouraged to enjoy God's good gifts of hospitality and fun. But here we're also reminded that the best possible joy is to be found where Jesus is present. Fifthly and lastly, having read together this particular passage, what can we learn about loving God? Just recently I was reading C.S. Lewis's book on miracles and came across this quote, there comes a moment when people who have been dabbling in religion, that's man's so-called search for God, there comes a moment when people who have been dabbling in religion suddenly draw back. Suppose we really find God. We never meant it to come to that. 
Worse still, adds Lewis, suppose he found us. And in this first of seven miraculous signs recorded in John's gospel, the disciples of Jesus experienced something they had not anticipated. Here at Cana, they experienced an unexpected glimpse of Jesus' glory, pointing them and us to the greater manifestation of his glory, which would be in his atoning sacrifice. And when they were taken by surprise in this way, glimpsing something of Jesus' glory, verse 11 tells us the disciples put their faith in him. In other words, as ordinary people at an ordinary family and community event, spent time in the company of Jesus, something extraordinary took place. God's glory was revealed. When ordinary disciples participating in an ordinary communion meal in the presence of Jesus, obedient to his instructions, something out of the ordinary takes place. As the Word becomes incarnate and is made flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth, a bit of heaven comes down, and a glimpse of God's glory is experienced by all who rest in His company. Very shortly, we will be gathering around the table of the Lord. At the invitation of Jesus Himself, we will participate in the celebration Please, will you anticipate that as the bread is broken and the wine is drunk, we too may experience a glimpse of the glory of God and, like the first disciples, put our faith in Him. Now, just before we do that, There's one we P.S. Did you notice that this incredible, joyful, celebratory event occurred on the third day? The third day of the new creation. What else, I wonder, happened on the third day? So we say together, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore.